internet, my name is Walter C.A.D. Spedchuk, and welcome back to Final Cut, presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast. We are on location here in beautiful Rochester, New York, and my remote correspondent, as always, uh, the wonderful, the entertaining, the creative genius that is Chase Redshirt King Lawsoner. Chase, how are we doing today on another just absolutely gorgeous fall day? I mean, that might be the nicest introduction I've ever been given to anything. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing great, you know. Um, it's a good time uh, to be uh, a, a fan of, of professional video gaming. Uh, I've been enjoying uh, the sights on that, uh, even if I don't think that my favorite team, Rogue, is going to get very far. Uh, I've been uh, enjoying the new theater, uh just opened up within walking distance of me now. So I'm going to get to see films without having to drive anywhere, which is great. Uh, love the convenience of that. And I, you know, just enjoying the ride. Uh, I feel like uh, that's as much as we can hope for uh, nowadays. So how are you doing? Well, a movie theater, when you do a movie-based podcast, uh, within walking distance is a little bit dangerous mm. because that means you just have absolute free reign to go see as many movies as you want. And I know right now in the release schedule, there have been a bunch of movies that have come out in the last couple of weeks uh, that I'm interested in watching, but I don't have a movie theater within walking distance. So that's kind of keeping me inside a little bit. Um, actually, I have been keeping up to date, uh, like my weekly TV show, uh, other than Great British Bake Off, we'll, we can talk about that, you know, a couple episodes down the road when we're a little deeper into it. Uh, I've been watching Heels on mm. Stars, the wrestling show with Stephen Amell. It's been wonderful. I love Stephen Amell. I don't care that the later seasons of Arrow fell off a cliff. Uh, he's a great actor. I've seen him wrestle in Chicago once. So it's been a really fun, like, exactly what you expect out of a HBO Stars, like, gritty realism show. Uh, there's some nudity, there's a lot of swearing, there's some violence, and, uh, the series finale was, uh, was, uh, two days ago, uh, by, you know, when we're recording this here on October 12th. Uh, I have not watched it yet, uh, but I am very excited to get into it tonight, uh, because yesterday, last night, I had to watch the subject of our discussion today, uh, Marvel and Disney's Black Widow. Um, yeah, I feel and... have to watch really sets the tone for this one, doesn't it? Compared to yes, last week, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because I was not going to spend twenty five dollars to watch the premium version when it first came out on Disney Plus all those uh, months ago, and I wasn't going to go to a movie theater to watch this movie. Uh, so Chase, let's just start at the beginning here. After watching it, what were your kind of first impressions? Uh, you know, I don't know if you went to the movie theater to actually watch this or if you were watching on Disney Plus, but what, what were your first thoughts uh, when the credits finally ended? So I did watch this from home and I watched with my roommate who is a big movie guy. He watches every Oscar uh, nominated movie every year. Um, he's uh, literally works in the film industry and we both finished it and ultimately i think the conclusion we came to is why does this exist what what is it that the filmmaker was trying to say 
that they wanted us to take away from it. Because I gotta be honest, I don't think there was one. I think that there were some good acting performances in here, some very good acting performances in here, off of a script that managed to say nothing. And I I can't think of a film that had so little on its mind that I have seen in recent memory. I just, I genuinely have no, like, outside of the fact that obviously this movie had to exist because it was written into Scarlett Johansson's contract that it would, why are we here? What is the... Well, I can, I can, I can answer that question for you. Uh-huh. I, it's a very, very simple answer. Uh, it is to tee off the Hawkeye Disney Plus show. But does it... It's that simple. But does it's it... that simple. Does it, though? Does it really? Well, the, the, the credit scene does. Okay. So, so of the whole film, a 90-second post-credit scene accomplishes more for, I guess, its goal than well, well, we had to, the entire else in the film. I just, we had to introduce Yelena. I mean, I just mean thematically, right? Like, films exist to say something, right? Last week when we talked about Shang-Chi, it was so much this idea of family and dealing with loss and how you process it and the ways that people grow on each other or fall out and and what that means. There's so many interesting dynamics here. And this film, mind control is bad? I guess that's true. You're right, movie, that mind control is bad. But, like, I don't think that was really up for debate. So, like, why else are we here? I don't know that this script had anything to say. And if we're going to judge bad as the absence of good... This movie has some real scripting concerns. Uh, I, I, ooh, God, this film is so frustrating. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how we got here for something this empty. Well, just to give a little bit of perspective here, um, this movie was not supposed to come out now. I'm pretty sure it was supposed to come out like two years ago. Sure was. Or at least like 18 months ago. Like this was supposed to come out, I think, towards the beginning of the pandemic. So we're talking March 2020, April 2020. I'd have to look up what the original release date was. So one of the biggest problems I had even before I watched the movie was like, all right, we've seen Endgame. We know Natasha is dead. Mm. Like, we we know she's dead. So why do I care about this story now? And I really think that this movie was just, like, a filler piece. It was like, oh, we, we need to do something because, uh, yes, Scarlett Johansson had it written to her contract. There would be a Black Widow movie. We should probably do a Black Widow movie because everyone, including Incredible Hulk, but we're not going to talk about that, have all had their like own individual movies out of all of the Avengers. It seems just really weird, the timing of when they decided to do this movie. Did they really need like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel to come out first to prove that you could make a big blockbuster female-led uh, superhero movie to like make money well then you're totally missing the point of why you would be making this movie and i just i didn't see the point yeah so i wasn't gonna spend 25 dollars or watch it in theaters i was gonna watch it on disney plus two months three months whatever after it came out and just be like it'll be a nice you know it'll be a nice hour 45 minute just under two hour jaunt 
Nope, it's two hours and 15 minutes. Which is they wild. They could have cut half hour out of this movie. I, we somehow spent two hours and 14 minutes with it, and I felt like we had less than 90 minutes of actual content. Like, I don't know how both of those things exist simultaneously. Because, like, I was watching it, and there wasn't a moment at which I'm like, oh, man, this is really slowed down. This is really, um, you know, taking its time to have those kind of more subtle moments where we can get some character beats. But when I, like, go back and I go over a list of what actually happened, there's no way that list should take two hours and 14 minutes. There's no way. It's not nearly two hours and 14 minutes worth of content. I, oh, man, I, this script, this script is there so was, bad. I just can't get was, over it. There was definitely a part of me after the three Marvel Disney Plus shows that we've gotten, and even after, like, the Netflix shows that we got, that sort of thought this was a character that maybe deserved, like, a eight to ten episode series. Mm -hmm. Just because she can't, like, throughout the Black Widow mythos that we get in the, the MCU, she always, like, refers to having these past lives, past incidents, uh, Budapest with... Uh, Hawkeye, like all of this stuff where it seems like, man, it would probably be really easy to just do like a flashback show and you tie it all into like a modern plot, which they kind of did here, and like just have these like flashbacks of all these moments and introduce all these other like little nuanced characters into this like super spy that's a byproduct of the end of the Cold War. And then I watched what they put on screen and I was like, Oh, they didn't have like seven hours worth of ideas. <laughs> they didn't have anywhere close to that. They barely had two hours worth of ideas. And, and it felt like they pivoted away from the thing that could have happened, right? Like, what's the one thing everyone went into this film wanting to know about? Well, it would probably be Budapest, because Black Widow and Hawkeye never shut up about how they bonded over Budapest, and that's the big moment that Black Widow is supposed to have turned over to the side of the Avengers and the side of quote-unquote good. And uh, I gotta yes. tell you, we get a flashback for like 60 seconds, and that's it! That's the whole... Right. We, we don't even right. get to see the point of Black Widow, like, getting to the point of desperation such that she chooses to leave, right? Like, that yeah. could have been an interesting film. Seeing Black Widow as a villain, doing all of these things, slowly coming to terms with the conditioning that's been brought on, and realizing the, the gravity of what they're actually involved with such that they reach a point of desperation in which they are willing to literally uh, put a child as collateral damage to knock out this bad guy. But we don't get any of that. We just get the scene in which that happens. And so we have no real connection to the villain. The villain might as well not matter in this film. We barely get to see him. He has no personality trait other than an old controlling dude who is an asshole. That's it. That's all this villain brings to the table. And when his, you know, I, we're obviously going to talk about spoilers, so I don't worry about doing that here. But uh, when we find out that his daughter is Taskmaster, it's like, so what? We don't know her. She doesn't matter to the story outside that, of, like, that. The, the first moment of her admitting, like, I killed uh, Dreykov's daughter, I was like, oh, that's Taskmaster. Oh, that, uh, gotcha, that's the person that's in the armor. Like, I, 
again, I'm not a huge comic book guy, so I don't know a lot of like the history or the backstory of some of these um, air quotes lesser known characters. But even I saw that from like two miles away with a scope on a 50 cal going like, oh, duh, of course that's his daughter. Like, and that's supposed to be this like grand reveal at the end. I just like, I, uh, and then the biggest thing to me is we have understood this entire time that like Black Widow program was this secret Russian assassin type thing, Winter Soldier-esque. Like we get that. We all under have understood that prior to now. The difference between Natasha and Bucky Barnes is that we are explained how Bucky breaks the programming, mm -hmm. how he breaks the protocol that has been embedded into his head, and, like, it's not an easy thing. Natasha, we never get that. Like, no. Yoletta, we get the, oh, well, they used chemicals on her, so now we use an antidote, and that helps her. The only thing we get about Natasha breaking the widow protocol is that, oh, well, they used mental conditioning instead of chemicals, and you just have a big heart. Like, that's it. That's literally, you broke the programming because you have heart. Are, that's the biggest load of bullshit I've ever seen. It, it doesn't have to be that way, too, right? Like, they could have just taken any amount of time, literally any amount of time, to show her having to do a job that she struggles with in some way and have some big moment that forces her into that position. But no, it, we don't get that. And I honestly, I don't know if this is just because Disney and Marvel, by extension, were too afraid of having Black Widow appear as a villain for any point of this film. There is never a moment in which we get to see a morally compromised Black Widow. We're just told that it happened. And that is the least interesting thing that you could do with Black Widow because the entire fucking reason you would do a prequel about this character, which for the record, I didn't think was a good idea in the first place, right? I think we said even back when we were still podcasting this, like, I don't really care about Black Widow's backstory because she is the type of character, uh, like an Inigo Montoya type, where the whole thing is about what they're doing now and what they did in the past is just kind of dressing its flavor for uh, what you can imagine, but whatever you imagine is going to be more interesting than what happens. Here, they don't even fucking try. They just pick right up at the point where it's like, oh yeah, she broke free, and so, but but these people that she broke away from, they're bad because control. And I got to tell you, mind control is a trigger for me. It is something that I have struggled. Uh, I, like I, I find very intimidating in general. It's a fear of like you know that kind of losing control of oneself is something that I think is really, it's really powerful and hard to fuck up because it is such a human fear. And they managed to fuck it up because we never really get the stakes of how bad the mind control stuff can be. Like, of course mind control is bad. I'm not saying we need a full, you know, treatise on why what he's doing is evil, but it's so transparently evil and there's never any sort of personal connection that would explain how the bad guy got to this point or why he thinks that that would affect anything or why you would, you know, and, and the girls we don't have any connection to because outside of uh, Florence Pugh's character, and to be clear, Florence Pugh, amazing job. Uh, turning, Best part of the movie. Turning gold out of, of nothing. Um, but... Uh, Outside of that, we get no connection 
to any of these girls. And so when there's a scene where he orders that one girl to kill herself, it lands with a wet thud because it does not matter because she doesn't matter because the whole thing wraps up so quickly that the impact of that, there's no room for it. Never, there's no moment of empathy that we get to make that loss matter. And I feel like the entire film can be described with they never took the time to make this matter emotionally. Um, And I say that knowing that they try to pull a lot of like family angles like what we saw in Shang-Chi, but just never paid it off. Which is is good. I actually, first of all, I I gotta rewind here for a second. How dare you accidentally like create an Diego Montoya origin story that now some director that's going to accidentally <laughs> listen to this podcast is going to go, oh shit, that's going to make a shit ton oh, of money. Please. I should write that script Don't. now. Like, how dare you curse us with that? I'm so sorry. I did not mean to roll that into existence. That is entirely my bad. <laughs> but secondly, the best part about this movie to me, other than Florence Pugh's character and, and just how she, she she's fantastic in this, is actually the family discussions, which I know they don't do a lot with it, but when they do point to that sort of conflict of Yelena does see them as family. They were her family. She was a very little girl. And of course, like when you're with someone for three years at that young age, the person you call mom and dad are who you are going to think your parents are. And, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Natasha being like older and already having already going into this knowing like this is a farce this is fake makes it so much easier for her to sort of break apart from that and i think the interplay of, of melina of alexi of natasha of yelena when they are kind of put together it's very easy to tell that the the other three not natasha but yelena meleni and alexi do still sort of feel that kinship and it is very easy to kind of go back and forth and they don't know how to like they don't know how to actually be a family outside of the pretending that they did but there are very poignant moments when alexi is sitting there and trying to tell this story from his youth and yelena's just like i don't want to hear how your dad pissed on your hands to prevent you from getting frostbite and then Alexi is like, okay, I know the one way to get to you, and starts singing, you know, ver- the last verse from American Pie, because that's her favorite song. Like, those moments, uh, the moment when Yelena and Natasha are sitting outside, you know, drinking the, the beer or whatever outside the, you know, automotive garage, those moments are very, very good. And they start writing that story, that narrative of this family that then you're right there's no payoff to that it just sort of is like yeah they were a family and we need more than one person to bring down the red room so like let's just bring all three of these other you know let's bring these other characters back into it that way if this goes off really well we can set up another disney plus show about the black widow program because that would be cool god i so i will say i have to um uh I agree with what you're saying about the family uh, in that I do think that that's the strongest part of the film insofar as all of the actors here do a really great job. I think Florence Pugh is incredible in this film. 
Scarlett Johansson, this is one of her better performances within her time in the MCU. Um, Rachel Weiss is always a pleasure to watch on screen. And I think David Harbour is having a lot of fun as the Red Guardian. I will say uh, that that uh, sentimental use of American Pie is something that my roommate texted me with a puking emoji when I asked him if there was anything I needed to bring up today. I thought that was incredibly forced and awkward as hell and so stupid for American Pie. It just like, come on, really? We're doing this? This is such a like lowest common denominator way to try to build pathos here. And they sell it really hard because the acting is good. But as far as like the moment goes, it's hard for me to look at that as anything other than a bit silly. Um, from a scripting but I, but perspective. I, but I think it's supposed to be forced. I actually think that's entirely the point of choosing American pie. Like, they could have chose Born in the USA. I mean... Like, they could have chosen Bruce Springsteen. And I think that's what they're trying to go for with that song. I mean, you don't know... Like, you don't know they're a fake family, really, until all of a sudden, like, they're running away. And you're like, all right, this is a little interesting. There's, a, I get a little bit of FX's The Americans vibes coming from this. And then, like, no, no, no detection of a European-Russian accent. Nothing, nothing, nothing. They land in Cuba. The Russians are there. Boom. We're spies. Like... So I think that's the point, is that it's supposed to set you up for, like, this, ooh they're Americans, they're Americans, they're Americans. Nah, they're Russian spies that came over to steal top secret. It's so on the nose. It is so painfully on the nose. I can't... It's Disney, what do you expect? Oh, they've done better than that before. Come on, <laughs> this is not... This, this was, uh... I, 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 that's fine. I, I'm happy to, uh, to agree to disagree on that one. I'd be curious where, uh, listeners come down on that moment. Cause it did not work for me. Um, I will say like the problem with the family dynamic as the strength of this film is you have to ask the question. So how do these characters grow and change in order to, you know, fill the holes that were left by their dynamic? And the answer is that none of them do. Uh, none of them really develop new character traits or are forced to uh, overcome their past in a way that is meaningful. Um, it all just kind of happens, you know? it Because ha it has to, because the script says that, well, the Red Guardian needs to be getting along with everyone now, so any tension that he had with Natasha or the person who played his wife previously is immediately dropped because that has to be dropped because we have our big action set piece we need to get to. Um, any concern about uh, Scarlett Johansson, you know, the Black Widows getting along uh, has to be, you know, they have that big fight against each other and then within a scene they're having drinks and everything is fine because the script says that they have to be fine now. There's so many moments in which they took the shortcut rather than actually delivering on some of these differences and really exploring character growth. And it, it leads to a position where you're at the end of the film and, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, looks at, uh, at Yelena and is like, here, you need to be the one to free these girls. Here's the antidote so you can go do it. And it's like, well, of course, because Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, has no connection to any of the girls in the program 
that she was previously a part of that would mean anything. So of course she's having her sister do it. And that is, in my opinion, a damning critique of how this film was set up, that there is no meaningful connection that would emotionally pay off between Scarlett Johansson and any of the people that supposedly were spending this whole film trying to protect. Nor is there with the Red Guardian, who is never really forced to account for his role in propping any of these systems up. Nor is there any real coming together for the mom, who has empowered a lot of this with her own scientific. It all just gets washed away for there to be a reunion at the end, because that's what you're supposed to do at the end of a film, is it all came together, even though none of it was in it. Absolutely none of it. And they sold it. They really did. The actors deserve so much credit for what they put into this film, because all of them in these main roles, I think, did a good job with what they were given. They were just given nothing. Um, and I hate that for them. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I think that for the most part, they were given nothing. I would say probably 90% of the script. It, there's just a lot of, like... It, this feels very much a script written by numbers, very much a, hey, let's, you know, sit inside with a, uh, you know, a room of people and say, how would you feel about X? And they, you know, press A or B on a, a, on a thing. It, it feels, it feels very, what's the word I'm like, like overproduced. Like they are very, they are trying so, so hard to write a story that, X percentage of the audience will enjoy this way. X percentage of the audience will enjoy this way. And it shows. But when you do get the little scenes where the actors are allowed to emote and act and have a little bit of personality within the characters, you know, Natasha apologizing to Antonia, uh, to Taskmaster, does feel real in a way. Like, it does feel like there is a genuine, like, I am so sorry I hurt you so bad. I was a different person then. Please accept, like, accept my apology. Accept, forgive me for what I did to you. I try, you know, I, I made a mistake. Like, that does feel real. Like I said, these little parts where you have uh, Alexi and Yelena, that does feel real. Yelena and Natasha, that does feel real. They're when you have uh, uh, Natasha talking to, um, I guess his name is Mason, but like her contact that gets her all of her equipment, like those little moments do feel real. And that actually might be the largest amount of character growth that happens across the entire movie yeah. is her going from, I have friends, to, well, you're my friend. Like that might be the largest amount of character growth that happens across the entire thing. And I, and I think you illustrate I, so much of my, like, the, the Taskmaster point is a great example where the actors did such a great job, despite the fact that within the confines of the movie, Black Widow and the Taskmaster have almost no emotional connection to each other whatsoever. We don't find out until the very end who the Taskmaster is. There have been no scenes in which the two characters have talked beforehand. There's been no real establishment of how much like that death actually affected Black Widow because it's mentioned once almost offhandedly early on and then dropped. Like that moment works because Scarlett Johansson is a good actress and she sells it really well. It is not because the movie put in the work to make us emotionally care about the Taskmaster 
and therefore feel good when there is a moment of catharsis in which forgiveness can happen, right? The script does not set that moment up to work. The actors involved take that very little that they were given and make a powerful moment out of it. And it's why, like, I'm going to complain a lot about this film, but I don't, I can't call it a bad film. I, I can call it a very disposable one. But, like, there are really good moments because the characters put, like, the, the actual actors put in the work. But, man, you can imagine, like, ten different versions of this script that all allow that moment to shine so much better than it does in the context of this film. I think disposable um, is kind of like a good word for it. So, so my experience of watching it was I, you know, put it on. I was watching it by myself. I uh, made, you know, some coffee, and I was doing laundry. So, like every forty-five minutes, I was like pausing the movie. I think this movie is gonna break apart into commercial breaks for putting it on TNT or TBS or FX or whatever channel they end up putting it on on TV, you know, in two months. Like, I think it's going to break apart very well in that vein. Uh, I agree with you. It's not a, like, a bad movie in that it's, you know, not enjoyable, that it's not entertaining. I think the action pieces are fun, but I think there's... I think the fights with Taskmaster specifically, where they're like, oh, we got to go super slow motion. Oh, you know, she can throw the shield and it goes absolutely perfect, you know, skimming down the escalators, not touching anything and then embedding in. Like, I think it's a little over tropey uh, at times when it comes to like a superhero movie or what I think this movie is more than a superhero movie is it is a, it is a born identity style action movie the entire first i want to say like two-thirds of this movie i am comparing it in my head to the born supremacy born identity those style of movies and just like it's a very simple story and you can guess the plot points as you are going if you've ever seen any of those kind of movies in the past you know where this movie is going and Maybe that's what's so disappointing about the scripting and, you know, the story of the movie is, like, you're telling a simple story. Do it well. Like, this isn't, this isn't really that overly complex. You have a bad guy who's doing a bad thing that has had a negative impact on your hero's life. Mm -hmm. The hero is out to stop them from ruining the lives of more people. It's very cut and dry. You had a little bit of a family dynamic. The sister was in it as well. You know, that's how you get your team up so that it's not just a one on, you know, one on a hundred thing. Like, it's it's simple. And the fact that they don't execute well is very depressing to the point where, like, I looked up the director because I'm like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't feel anything coming from this movie. And they did the Disney thing nowadays is they went and they picked a director that doesn't have a ton of experience. But this goes even further than some of the other directors they've chosen. Like, I, this Kate Shortland, I don't think has directed, like, anything of note that I've ever heard she's of. She's one, like, here's the thing. The things that she's directed have been nominated for awards, right? Like, Berlin Syndrome was not a huge film, but it received numerous awards for Best Film, Best Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, um... For its its type, uh, Lore is another one that was a historical drama film that was, uh, I believe, 
pretty well received. Like these are on a smaller scale, and and to Kate Short uh, Shortland's uh, credit, and I'm not going to give her much credit for this film uh, for a, a, a few reasons um, that I think we, we've touched on, and I, I just. Uh, I feel bad when it comes to the action stuff because she told Marvel, I don't have any experience shooting an action film. That is nothing close to what I have done. I don't know the how to do it. The action isn't the problem. But, like, the action scenes are Well, good. I will say this because Marvel, Marvel's response to her was, don't worry, we'll take care of that. And so what we got was, I, I think, really three action set pieces that just keep fucking going. Um, and I don't necessarily mean to say that there aren't good moments within those action set pieces, but like, for example, in the prison breakout scene, as soon as the avalanche started, I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> it's like, no, fuck this. Yep. You don't need this. This has already had all of this other tension. You are just being ridiculous but, because you don't know how to pace out an action scene. And the fucking, but, but like, at the it, end, how fucking long was that thing exploding? It just never stopped. And it was like, no, we're stuck in this, aren't we? This is just the film now. We're just going to keep seeing so many parts of it just slow motion explode and this and that. And it's just like, God, what? Imagine, like, think about how much more ground Mission Impossible covered with their action set pieces, right? To compare it to other spy films. Like, think about The Born Supremacy. How many different beats and different kinds of action beats that we got within less time than this film had. And this was just... Oh, my God. The pacing of it was so bad. I just... It's so frustrating. There are good moments in it. But, like, how do we have... How did they spend two hours and 14 minutes and we barely see Taskmaster, Right? Like, Taskmaster, despite being the main villain in this, gets really two fight scenes, and the first one is very short. I I don't get it, man. I don't I don't understand why we needed the avalanche, but we don't three, need... Three fight scenes. She gets three fight scenes in this, on the bridge right at the beginning, when Black, uh, with uh, the car, okay. when she flips the car. Uh, she gets uh, the, um, the, the, like, subway scene. That That's kind of the same scene, but okay. She gets, she gets she gets to fight Alexi, and then there's the aerial acrobatic scene, which was completely unnecessary, and it honestly would have been way more powerful if Widow got down, was on the ground, was looking for Florin, or was looking for Yelena, sees a white parachute, goes over to it, and Taskmaster's hand just comes out and grabs her throat, and it's a fight. Like, that would have been so much better of a, like, final, you know, you're gonna come in. Like, it would have been a Michael Myers-esque monster fight as opposed to just this, like, extended, well, we gotta show off all these acrobatics mm. and, you know, the CGI. There were moments in this film where it was so obvious that the actors were standing by themselves in front of a green screen. Like, brutally obvious that they were not in the same room as each other. <laughs> yeah, I just man, I don't know. Uh it's tough. I they again like Marvel has struggled with villains for a while. And these may be oh, the God. least interesting villains of any Marvel film. Like as far as we're just given so little reason to care. And it didn't have to be that way, right? Like imagine if we cut off so much of the superfluous nature of some of these action sequences, right? Cut off about 10 minutes of stuff just exploding and them going from 
from railing to railing because they do that trick multiple times in that ending sequence and cut off the avalanche of that one action sequence and include 10 minutes of Black Widow before Budapest happens that makes us care the about those characters, right? Yeah, the flashback should have been longer. I, I will say, though, if you get rid of the avalanche, you get rid of the best line in the entire movie. Well, that would be a cool way to die. That that was best line of the movie. That was that was a good line. I I will give it that. I <laughs> man, I don't this one I like and I do feel like cuz I'm being very negative and I know I'm being very negative, yeah. but it's only because this is a film that could have been so much better than it is. Because the yes. acting performances are so good that I just keep yeah. thinking like man, if they had been given anything to work with, Anything, like, if they had been given a script that knew how to place these characters in positions where we could get real catharsis and real growth and see a real journey rather than a start and end point that is purely defined by how the comics have to be, right? Like, that ending, the pre-credits ending, is such a damp thud because it's like, well, we know that endgame has to happen, so she has to go, so that's... That's what we end on. Not any amount of like real closure for the character or closure for her family who just have to kind of go and leave off screen. It's like, no, no, no. The real ending that we're all here for is her having to go back with S.H.I.E.L.D. because the snap is about to happen. And it's like, man, I wish that canon did not matter to people as much as a lot of people care about canon at this point. I used to care about canon, and then I saw how canon makes a lot of these films just not as good because it has to tie in more than it has to be emotionally resonant in and of itself. And there's so much of this film that feels like it is cashing in on previous clout that Black Widow is built in from other Marvel films. So if you're going for a full journey in this one, I mean, the ending basically tells you to go fuck yourself, right? Like, that's just like... By the way, uh, this is where it goes in our movie universe, so that's where the story ends, because it has to. I think, yeah. I don't, think, I don't think the ending says go fuck yourself. I says the ending says come back in two years when we've written the Black Widow Chronicle TV show where now they're going to follow Yelena around as she helps free some of these other widows that are still under the mind control, but... You know, there's nobody controlling them anymore, so they're just... That's post-credits, though, right? that's what Hawkeye Like, we don't really get that until post-credits, when we finally get to see Florence Pugh have that conversation. Before that, when the the credits start to roll, we get none of that. And it seems like a problem. It's just like, sure, we'll deal with those things off-screen. It's fine. And it's like, okay, well, I guess none of it matters. I don't think... I don't think the after-credits scene is what does it. I do think that her handing her the chemicals, all of them kind of grouping up together with Alexi, with Melina, with Taskmaster, all of them does indicate, hey, these people are going to exist further inside the MCU. You're right. Maybe it's not that they're going to get their own TV show, but these characters are all going to be important and are going to be integrated into the larger narrative as a whole, which is really important because the first generation Avengers are 
Is it really important? I feel like emotional resonance would be more important than saying, don't worry, they're coming back. That's marketing. That's not an ending. That's marketing. But that's, and that to me is, there There are two damning things that I can say about this movie. And again, I, I also feel bad that I'm sort of piling on top of this movie. But I didn't go into it with high, high expectations. And I'll say, my expectations were kind of met. Like, I was anticipating and expecting a pretty good action movie that, yes, did I want a little bit more emotional resonance out of it? Absolutely. Did I want a little bit more of the backstory of Black Widow and why she decided to go from the one of the world's greatest assassins to uh, joining S.H.I.E.L.D. and being Tony Stark's errand girl for, like, a movie and then joining the Avengers and yada, yada, yada? Like, absolutely. But the two damning things I have are the first, the second time we see Melina when she's older and on the farm, me going, which Bourne movie is she from? Because I recognize her and I'm pretty sure she had the same role in a Bourne movie. And the last half of the movie was clearly Marvel and Disney are setting up for new characters in Phase 4 and Phase 5 and Disney Plus TV shows. Like, that, it becomes very clear at that point, at like about two-thirds through the movie, basically when they go to the Red Room, that all of this is to set up future content. And I think that's one of my big worries for Disney in general and for other properties as they've sort of been gobbled up by the big entertainment industries is does everything have to build to something else and i know that's something we brought up with shang chi that we think disney did a very very good job of letting that be its own identity for for basically the entire course of the movie with a couple of tiny little easter eggs here and there and cute little things and then after you've had the journey after you've been introduced to the characters and have some investment into it then they hit you with the marketing boom and now he's on call for the avengers so and that this movie doesn't do that this movie is entirely building up to what are we now going to do post there it was meant to be a lead into black uh to uh falcon and the winter soldier and instead it's now a lead up into hawkeye which okay two things i just want to build off of there one uh, with Rachel Weiss, you're thinking of the Bourne legacy. Uh, she does indeed yes. play in the um, yes. the okay, the worst of the Bourne films, I would argue. Yes. Um, the second, I'm going to give you a quote. Um, this is from uh, David Hayter. Uh, David Hayter was the person who wrote the original script. Uh, and I want you to tell me if this sounds like a better film. Um, quote, what I tried to do was use the backdrop of a splintered Soviet empire a lawless insane asylum with 400-some-odd nuclear missile silos. It was all about loose nukes, and I felt it was very timely and very cool. Unfortunately, as I was coming up on the final draft, a number of female vigilante films came out. We had Tomb Raider and Kill Bill, which were the ones that, uh, that worked, but then we had Blood Rain and Ultraviolet and Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux didn't open well, and three days after it opened, the studio says, we don't think it's time to do this movie. <laughs> that would have been so much more interesting. That would have been so much more interesting, right? Would that have been too close to Sucker Punch, 
Red Sparrow or Atomic Blonde. You say that like those aren't great films. Well, I mean, Sucker Punch is not a good film, but Atomic Blonde is an amazing film. Give me more Atomic Atom- Blonde. Atomic Blonde is. I would have loved Atomic Blonde, but but Scarlet Widow, like Black Widow. Oh my God. Oh. Ah, Marvel. Okay. Okay. I just sorry. I saw that and I'm like. I can't believe it's taken me 45 minutes to bring up Atomic Blonde, actually, because I definitely, coming out of this movie, was like, I need to rewatch the Bourne movies, and I haven't seen Atomic Blonde in a while. That's not, maybe I'll treat myself yeah. to that this week. Like, Atomic Blonde. Like, and I think that's, uh, that doesn't speak well to a film when you come out of it and you're like, I want to watch what this is trying to be instead. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't think that's that's a good sign. I don't think it's ideal. Um, I I have to ask you this question, because I've asked my roommate, uh, and I don't think either of us could come up with an answer. You know, theoretically, in a perfect world, films exist to say something, right? Like, films have themes that you can look into and analyze and that you're meant to come away from. What is the philosophy of this film what are audiences actually supposed to take away from the events as they were delivered on screen because i don't know like mind control is bad sure i guess i think we already had that one covered uh family is complicated sometimes okay really feels like they could have paid a lot of those things off a lot better and shang chi did all of those scenes on a more realized version, like, what do you think this movie was trying to say? What what was what were they hoping that at the end of the film we would take away beyond Marvel or an action scene that happened? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I think my best first thought as you ask me that question is is to quote. Uh, the great Mel Brooks mm-hmm. as yogurt in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Spaceballs too. The search for more money. Yeah, it really does come down I to that, doesn't it? I, I, yeah, and as I said earlier, like the last third of this movie does scream. We're building this into a Black Widow series. We're building this into we need you know Scarlett Johansson is no longer part of the Avengers, so we need a new black widow type character and that's going to be florence Pugh, which fantastic casting choice she's going to be amazing for you guys i can't wait for the first avengers movie that her and tom holland are in together because the banter that's going to go off between the two of them is going to be off the charts. make that bank florence um, Pugh. you deserve every goddamn cent but the reality of it is yes i think there are kind of two different ways they could have gone with this um, that they failed to say anything. The first one obviously being the sort of family aspect. Family is who you choose. Um, that family can come from anywhere. I think it could have talked more and kind of hinted more at the sort of adoptive family sort of aspects, and that could have been one way they could have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way they could have gone is, despite the flaws of like Zemo as a villain in Captain America and the Winter Soldier, like that was a better mind control story. Than, Much better villain. And it, Much more interesting and villain. And in all honesty, 
like part of what makes that movie work despite zemo being kind of a mediocre villain is that winter soldier is the michael myers monster in that he is the real physical threat throughout the entire movie and then obviously you have the puppet master that's you know behind the scenes and zemo. i think you're, you're talking you could have done like, that. uh civil war right it was winter soldier was zemo there no, as it's well? winter soldier Turner. Yeah, he's because he's the one who's controlling him. Uh, I thought that wasn't revealed until Civil War. Maybe on my 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 mind my, my, my uh, timeline could be very much up. I could, I could I'm be, searching I could Winter Soldier and I'm not seeing Zeno's name come up once on the wiki page. Well, so okay, but I, I guess the, the Hydra aspect of it in the back scene. I, I I could be misremembering it as well. But but anyways, like you have this mind control story and it's about breaking it and. Uh, the super soldier aspect of it. So you very easily could have done that here with Taskmaster. Like Taskmaster is completely underutilized. Everything that I had read review wise was that it was a waste of a character. And that's very disappointing because it Taskmaster could have been so much more. The more obvious one to me here though, that they're really missing is they're missing. uh, You brought it up yourself earlier, the sort of fear of mind control and losing control of yourself they really could have pulled the Jessica Jones here. Yeah. And they really could have hammered home the control aspect a lot harder. Maybe it's impossible for them to make it in a PG-13 way in a way that doesn't sort of get into themes that Disney probably doesn't want on the movies uh, on a silver screen and really would get close to abuse um, but inherently, that's kind of what the widows go through is a form of abuse right. through this mind control. And, uh, you know, the line that they say, oh, you know, one in 20 make it through and the other 19 he just kills. Right. Like there is there is something very, very dark that was bubbling underneath the surface um, that I think, yeah, if this wasn't supposed to be a PG-13 like Disney Avengers movie, they really could have gone on whole hog with it and made something very similar to, to the Netflix Jessica Jones series. So um, knowing this they film, did, they would have just done that do montage to a slow motion uh, brick in the wall reference. It's just, ah, uh, it would have been. <laughs> Man, I got to uh, say, uh, it's a bad sign for a film when you have uh, a villain and, and you know, Scarlet, uh, you know, uh, Black Widow's trying to uh, like bait him out to uh, to hit her right to to break the nerve so that the pheromone thing doesn't work, um, and every you know she's saying like you're pathetic. You sit up here in this tower and you don't even see the effects of what you're doing. Like how sad an existence you must live. And I'm like, yeah, no, hundred percent. This guy's pathetic. Uh, it's another shadowy organization that, as far as we can tell, doesn't influence anything other than just hurting these people there's no reason to care about him or the organization that he runs or to feel like there's any weight to his actions because they never came up in a previous film and they're not going to come up again here so yeah he sure is pathetic you're right marvel you were absolutely right when everything black widow said is correct about your villain and maybe someone should have watched that scene looked at the the director and gone Hey, we th- do we think this is a problem? Do we think uh, do we think all of this being a hundred percent accurate is a concern? And they're like, nah. 
I mean, Marvel was like, no, because that would mean we have to add additional canon, um, which we can't because we can't have it conflict Look, with anything man, else. There are always more shadowy organizations that have been slowly manipulating the scope of the world. I, I, you know, people were making that joke about Shang-Chi. And now that I see Black Widow, I'm like, okay, it does sure seem like we're getting a lot of shadowy organizations that have been in the background for forever. Like, I get it. I understand why it's convenient, but like the problem is they're not all going to hit equally hard because they can't all be equally effective. And this one feels useless because we see well, so little else, of how it affects things. How else are you supposed to exist in a universe where superheroes are real and there's shield and I like, I, that's one thing. Like I totally understand why they have to do super shad, you know, secret shadowy things. Like it's not like they can put a, pull a DC and start throwing people into vats of acid and turning them into super humans. Like, that's not the Marvel way. Yes, I mean, they didn't... Like, in this version of the Marvel Universe, though, like, aren't heroes pretty new? Like, I'm pretty sure you could easily justify, like, uh, superheroes... Like, so many so many villains in, like, the first few phases of the Marvel films were like, you know, these superheroes came out of nowhere and someone needs to keep them in check or somebody, you know, like... That's a whole, the whole thing of Civil War is like, this has never happened before, so we need to create the Sokovia Accords so we know how to deal with them. You really don't. You really do not need to have all, all these things always happen because in the shadows because superheroes were here when the world has said, no, they weren't. They're a new thing. It's, ah, it's so frustrating. Yeah, which is, it's so frustrating. Which is really weird because Captain America existed in the force. Right? <laughs> But it's okay, he froze in ice and there were no other heroes, which is, I guess, fine. I, ooh, this script. Ooh. Which, what, one last little, like, nugget I want to bring up before we do, uh, you know, do kind of end the discussion is, um, so in Falcon and Winter Soldier, we were discussed that, well, I know you didn't watch it, but there is a discussion that there were, like, multiple superheroes, like, super soldiers, mm -hmm. like, after Captain America, that there are there was, like, a contingent of them, and they existed, and they were sort of just, like, the military, like, phased them out and got rid of them because Cold War, well, we don't need a super soldier, we need spies, and so on and so forth. Sure. The little scene where Alexi is talking about how he fought Captain America, I find that interesting. Like, and I know somebody is, like, that Urso was like, oh, he's been, he was been frozen that entire time. Like, but, but was there not another one? And I think that's something interesting that probably is going to like go to the wayside is never going to be discussed, but I would be very intrigued to see if maybe there was maybe, maybe hidden, maybe the public didn't know about in the way they did Steve Rogers, but I'd be very curious to know if there was a Captain America operating in the eighties and like, who was it? And what was his story like? Sure. And like, can we talk about that? That would be That cool. would be interesting. That's something I would wish into existence. That would have been a cool thing to explore in this two hour and 14 minute. I cannot stress enough. This movie was two hours and 14 minutes and managed to cover not nearly enough ground for that time frame. I, yeah, no, that would have been cool. I'd like, there's, there are so many versions of this film that could have been good. And I, I really do want to end on that note when it comes to my criticisms here because I do not want any of my criticisms to take away from the acting performances at play here because everyone involved in this production 
clearly gave their heart to it, clearly put in a lot of work, and did as much as they could with what they are given. My frustration on this is in how many stories, if you and I sat here, we could spend another hour talking about more interesting versions of the film that we just watched. Absolutely. There's so many of them, and they picked possibly the least interesting version. And that's such a shame, given how hard these actors worked to make something really good uh, with what they had. That's, that's the frustrating thing to me. That's why I get as animated as I do about this film. Not because it is, you know, because it could have been so much better. Because it should have been so much better. But that's not the world we got. Well, Chase, uh, at the end of the day, there will always be Budapest. <laughs> will there? Will we ever? I mean, I guess we're not ever going to see Budapest in its reality. I guess it was just the one bomb. I guess that's all of Budapest now. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's never coming back. She burned that bridge with the lawsuit, which for the record, she was right to do. And I, I am glad that someone with her resources did stand up to Disney on that because uh, not everyone can. And as unsympathetic as she can be sometimes, um, you need people like her to set legal precedents because uh, otherwise those who don't have the money to protect themselves will always just get starved out by Disney lawyers, right? So good on her for doing it. Uh, it does mean we're never seeing that version of Black Widow ever again. So Absolutely we have officially not. seen what Budapest think... is, I guess. Yeah, and I don't think we're ever going to see Emma Stone and anything else in Disney-related uh, either, but good for both of them. I do think that that was a, a, a worthwhile lawsuit to bring about. And uh, at the end of the day, that was Black Widow. <laughs> Warts and all, good parts, bad parts. Mm. It was a movie. It was it was definitely a movie. Chase, uh, I don't know. Give me give me a rating. Uh, I, I don't know. Give me a final score. Two out of five stars, uh, and all of them are for the acting. Uh, that's everything else about this film uh, I could do without. Um, but I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. At least the next film we're going to talk about is good. Uh, I'm very excited for the next film. Well, I have not yet had time to watch the next film, but I'm going to be going to see it this weekend. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope it doesn't shake me to my core. But, uh, Chase, at the end of the day, where can the good folks at home find you on uh, social media? Well, uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Uh, and you can also follow the pod at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter. We are going to get that Twitter account going. Um, so. Uh, if you guys want to ask any questions or uh, reach out to us on anything that we've said, uh, by all means, uh, those are the places where you can find me. Absolutely. And, you know, for all of the uh, former fans of us from back in the day, welcome back. We're, we're both really happy to be back here. Um, I know, like, one question might be, are we going to go back and do the esports stuff? Uh, probably not for a while if we do. Uh, I'm, you know, pretty positive we're going to focus on the movies here. Uh, but we do have some ideas for some other things that, you know, as we get back into the swing of doing this, uh, maybe we'll, you know, we can talk about some other things and figure some other things out. Let us know, as Chase said, at, at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, you can also find me at C80s underscore LOL. And uh, we'll see you guys in approximately two weeks 
for our next movie, uh, we're really going outside of the MCU on this one, and we're very excited to talk about it. So until then, goodbye, Internet.